the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the 500th episode of the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And well, Johnny, we weren't planning on tonight being episode 500, but um, I guess we just blabbed on too much in uh, part 1A, didn't we? But uh, here we are. It's a milestone occasion and uh, great to be here with you on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm as taken aback as as you are. I just just found out like a, a minute or two ago, so I'm I'm still a bit bit shocked. But I mean, the, the good thing is because we were planning on the the after Japan Bahrain game was going to be the 500th, but you know we've we've got we've got a perfect guest on on tonight, and we don't have to take the risk that the 500th episode is ruined by by Japan losing or anything. So yeah, I'm not very very happy to be here. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So uh, happy 500 to you, Alan. I, I don't personally know how many you've been on, and I'm sure you've lost count yourself, but uh, you're definitely one of our most regular guests over the last uh, 12 or so years. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, again, great to be sharing this milestone with you as well. Thank you, even if it was by accident. And thank you again, Johnny, for saying nice things about me. It's, um, I, was, I was waiting to say what you're going to say to have the 500th episode ruined by, and I was wondering whose name you were going to say. <laughs> but yeah, I'm here, and I've had a had a blast over 12 years, eh? Geez, about the same time as Jay Soccer Magazine's been going, I think. So uh, we've grown up together. Ah, aren't the kids, aren't the kids are all grown up now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us now. Look at us now. Yes. So in a part 1A of our season previews, we talked about the two Osaka clubs, Cerezo and uh, Gumba. In this uh, episode, we'll uh, be covering the, uh, the the defending champions, Vissel Kobe, uh, along with Kyoto and uh, Hiroshima. So uh, on each of these clubs, we'll be uh, briefly recapping their 2023 season, talking about the major transfers out and in of the club, uh, the manager uh, where it's appropriate, um, a player to watch for each club. Could be a new signing, a youngster, an emerging talent, or uh, just somebody we're looking forward to watching for that particular club this year. And then their overall prospects for the 2024 campaign. So, for the first time ever, Vissel Kobe are the defending J1 champions. They won the title for the first time in the 2023 campaign, and it was a season uh, that uh, they spent almost entirely at the top of the table. They uh, won three straight at the start and five of their first six. They slipped to third temporarily in mid-season, but went top again in match day 26, and then from there held their nerve. They stayed top the rest of the way, holding off Yokohama F Marinos and sealing the title at home versus Nagoya in match day 33, and they were unbeaten in their last seven league games, uh, winning six of those and uh, drawing one. They had the second-best goals four column with uh, 60 goals scored, just three behind F. Marinos, and had the third-best goals against column. They only let in 29 goals in uh, the the last season. That's uh, just uh, two more than Urawa did and one more than Hiroshima. In uh, Yuya Osako, they had the uh, joint winner of the Golden Boot. He netted uh, 22 times in the league last year, and uh, Yoshinori Muto doubled up with the 10 goals and 10 assists. Of course, that came after their Annus Horribilis in 2022 when they finished 13th and they didn't spend a single week in the top half of the table. So what a turnaround it was. They finally did the business, Alan, and they did it with um, their in inverted commas, Galacticos, almost entirely out of the picture. So uh, what a uh, what a campaign it was. And um, yeah, 
Kobe ultimately deserved champions. And now we wait to see what they can do for an encore. Yeah, it was um, a great season. I think uh, you mentioned it last time I was on, or, or or maybe I just saw it on Twitter, but I, I believe I was the only person who had them winning the championship in the uh, the J-Preds. Whether that was the heart or the head or some just brilliant uh, deductions, I don't know. But, um, yeah, they, uh, I think the key was the uh, the manager. He was uh, strong enough to to um, basically not bow to any pressure and have to and play Iniesta or, as you say, his, his Galacticos almost at all. Um, even, um, the, I would say, Tule is definitely not a Galactico, but a, a very decent centre-back from Brazil. But even he uh, didn't get in over, uh, even with Kikuchi out for pretty much the whole season, Tule was still uh, second best to Honda and Yamakawa most of the season. So um, the fact is that uh, Yoshida knew what he wanted, um, played the players that he wanted to play, and they played as a team. I think they had a, a very small squad com- compared to the likes of Gambo Osaka, who we mentioned uh, in the last podcast. And um, I think uh, it was it was quite excellent in the end. I was very pleased with my boys and the fact that they had two or three I mean, well, Kikuchi was the, the main man out for literally the whole season, but they had some injuries, um, but they they had players that come in. Ogihara um, played in defensive midfield for, a, I think, six or seven of the, the last eight games, and, and he was surprisingly excellent, very reliable, and then the, the sort of, I would say, and much more than a journeyman, uh, Ide, actually scored one of the goals in the final game that that uh, clinched the, well, the second from final game that clinched the championship. So they had uh, uh, well, Honda actually deserves a mention if I'm going to talk about bit players who came good. I mean Honda was probably bought in as like the fifth or sixth choice centre back and played pretty much the whole season. And uh, I think we probably mentioned it. And the last time I was on the podcast actually at the end of last season, that for me he was one of the players who could have been player of the season because uh, he he excelled um, where no one expected him to excel. So overall. I think the team were playing very well for their manager as a team. And that was the key. Um, that was, you know, wonderful, great season in Kobe. I mean, to, to sort of go slightly off off subject of football, but Kobe, Ayanak Kobe have just won the uh, the Empresses Cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hanshin Tigers and Oryx Buffaloes, both teams from Kobe or Kansai, um, fought it out in the final of the baseball. Sorry to mention that here. So, I mean... Cowboys won everything in the in the last year, so can only be downhill from here, right? <laughs> well, well, that's what we have to wait and see, isn't it, Johnny? What they can do for an encore. Um, uh, we're only obviously um, talking about the major transfers out and in for uh, for each club uh, on these previews. So for me, the only really name transfer out that uh, I uh, I could identify was uh, Leo Osaki going over to a club in the UAE. Uh, apart from that, I think they've uh, they've decided to run it back. And obviously, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So there are some excellent names that they brought in. But in terms of transfers out, yeah, there was nothing really noteworthy that I could see. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think yeah, um, Osaki is the only player in that list of names that really played any, any kind of significant minutes. I know overseas media were, were purring over Juan Mata winning the winning the J League after only playing ten minutes, but that's that's all he did. And Vecchi played a couple of minutes. Arai came in mid-season, didn't do much. Kawasaki only got got a few minutes, and then the rest it's all just backup goalkeepers and, and reserve players. So yeah, I think yeah. 
they've obviously, like Alan mentioned, it was a very small small squad last season, um, and they had a few injuries, especially in in central defence. And of course, Minsky Saito got that horrendous injury, so he needs to be replaced. But yeah, like people have left, but they were just kind of kind of filler. And then I think the the ins are obviously much stronger than the outs. And you look at the kind of teams that they brought the, the players in from. There's like Marinos, there's Kawasaki, Kashima, uh, Urawa, Celtic. So these are obviously high high quality high quality players. That I guess you know with Gamba and Serizot, it was a bit easier in certain times to pick holes um, in where they may kind of come a cropper. Vissel, if anyone says I'm maybe nitpicking here, they're they're probably right because it's not that easy to find kind of gaps. I would only say, as Alan alluded to, like last season, Vissel had a very small squad. Gamba had a very big squad. Uh, having a big squad with loads of depth sounds great, or like uh, as a as an idea. It doesn't always work on paper. Like, an example I would give, you know, so, sorry to jump in with it with one of the in transfers, but Takuya, no, please do, yeah. Takuya Iwanami's come over from Urawa Reds, and if you think back to the start of last season, I mean, Urawa must have had the strongest centre back group of any club that's ever played in the, the J-League with um, Schultz and Hoibraten and Iwanami and uh, Inukai and Chinen, which sounds brilliant on paper, but then they did the right thing and they found the best two and just played them week in, week out, and they formed a partnership, which then leads to three players not being very happy and wanting to leave and play at other clubs. So, yeah, uh, Yoshida has obviously got, got what he wanted. Like Alan said, two layers there and, and John Patrick, I think they're the two foreign players, and he does have a bit of faith in, in those ones. And yeah, the other ones he's comfortable with and how he integrates these new guys into the squad, I think will be interesting to see. They're there to be shot at the defending champions as that added pressure. So yeah, I think that the logic behind bringing in this kind of quality of player is good and they've not lost anyone, like we say. So there are a lot of reasons to be positive, but yeah, very interesting to see who makes it into the starting 11. Does he rotate a little bit more than last season? I'm fascinated to see. Indeed. So of these uh, transfers in, Alan, um, yeah, as we said, they're obviously coming at this transfer window from a position of strength as the defending champions, and they're able to cherry pick the positions that they want to strengthen. So, uh, but yeah, some of these names are really fascinating, aren't they? And um, yeah, that most definitely strengthen the squad. I wonder which, if you could pick out one of the the new transfers that you think might have the the biggest impact at the Novo Stadium, uh, is there one that you could identify? Yeah, obviously I'm thinking uh, Yosuke Ideguchi is a perfect addition. He's a, a combative defensive midfielder. He's even got that little bit of malice that um, many Japanese uh, midfielders or players in general don't have. Uh, the fact that he is uh, physical and at times malice, malicious, if necessary, you want to call it, um, has caused a few injuries. Uh, he tends to, for example, Ryota Oshima at Kawasaki Frontale is brilliant player, but he's always out with muscle injuries. Ogashiwa, the same, has problems with muscles and hamstrings. Idiguchi's problems have always been, basically, come from a tackle or even a revenge tackle after what he's done. So he doesn't tend to pull muscles. He tends to get injured because he's too physical, um, which is unusual for Japanese players. And I think he's going to fit nicely in the whistle. Um, So he would be my man to watch. But I think the key, and I'm sure we'll come back to how Whistle are going to use all their players, but I think their only problem really is that they only have two major forwards. Uh, Kawasaki was a standby forward. Otherwise, they have like four or five attacking midfielders to choose from who they play in a 4-3-3 formation sometimes. But 
they only have Osako and Muto, um, who are really good strikers. And if one of them get injured, they're, they're in trouble too. So I think the key man could be uh, Miyashiro, Taisei Miyashiro. He needs to get the chance to start, and then he needs to take it. And uh, I think he could be a key man this season. Yeah, okay. Well, you just jumped the gun there, Alan, because he's my one to watch at the end of the uh, the Kobe section. But yeah, we'll we'll come back to him. Don't worry. But yeah, I was hoping to keep him uh, yeah up my sleeve. But uh, yeah, the cat's out of the bag now. The uh, the the manager, of course, uh, Takayuki Yoshida. He never has to buy a drink in the city of uh, Kobe again after uh, steering Vissel to their first ever top flight title. And um, well, Alan, as I come back to you, yeah, I, I don't think it could happen to a nicer guy, could it? Because he, um, yeah, he's obviously, um, he's been there whenever Vissel have had to call on him. He's um, he's taken the reins. He's taken full control of um, of his squad and he's, um, yeah, he's stamped his authority all over it and uh, and got the, the just rewards at the end of uh, last season. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's probably got this job for as long as he wants it now. Well, in theory, yeah, as long as he keeps winning, I suppose. Um, he used to play for Vistel, of course, number 17, um, very famous 17. And, um, but I think he was sort of, sort of when Mikitani was um, less trusting of his managers, shall we say, or maybe when Mikitani was less busy um, not losing money elsewhere, I think he's had to, to settle, uh, to sort of con- to uh, concentrate on some of his businesses to uh, to try and consolidate those. And I, I think that's a good thing that he's left Yoshida to do to do things in his own way. But I think uh, in, in the past, uh, Mikitani uh, fired him or moved him upstairs or released him uh, t- two more times before, I think. So uh, Yoshida's actually, you know, come back um, despite being treated badly. And then he's come and showed how strong he is by, as I mentioned before, playing, playing his team, not mm. worrying about the fact that, you know, some guy is earning $36 million a year, he's sitting on the bench. Um, and I think uh, the fact that Juan Mata, for example, I mean, from the outside, you can see Juan Mata came in and played 10 minutes, didn't do anything. Um, it's not quite like that. Um, uh, I think it's safe for me to say that I think he came with a, a broken arm um, and uh, it was kept very quiet by Vissel Kobe. And he, at least I think it was broken arm, but certainly he, he had a cast on his arm pretty much all the time that he was at, at Vissel. I saw it actually on the bench once. So can you imagine? I mean, they obviously kept it quiet, uh, put him on the bench, but didn't use him. Um, and then if you look carefully at the J-League awards, uh, he comes out with his left arm behind him. And then when he's walking off and his, his arms are moving, you can actually see the cast under his left arm, even under the torpedo. So... The fact is that he came and he wasn't fit. But I also know that um, the players that trained with him um, enjoyed it. They learned a lot and they really had a good time and he, he was he was excellent. So overall, um, however expensive he was or wasn't, I actually don't know. Uh, it was obviously it was a free transfer and, and uh, I don't know how much they paid for him uh, salary wise. But it seems that uh, along with Iniesta, they, the players were, were having an amazing time playing with and training and learning. These these guys don't necessarily have to be on the field to improve a team, so it's really interesting. But um, yeah, Yoshida, um, whether Mata was bought to play or not, uh, he didn't play, and uh, Yoshida was um, just did what he wants and uh, did it well. So yeah, as you say, uh, he won't be buying a drink in Kobe uh, unless unless he's with me, then I'll insist him he pays. And um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's as long as he, he keeps uh, he keeps winning, and Mikitani doesn't, shall we say, 
plays a little more hands off as he has done in the last year, which seemed to work well. Uh, yeah, Yoshida's. I think uh, I think we'll probably discuss this later, but uh, this will have a chance to to go two for two. Yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, very good investigative reporting there, by the way, on the uh, one Mata uh, cast issue there. Appreciate that, Alan. Um, well, yeah, let's jump in then, Johnny. So uh, Miyashiro is my one to watch for uh, for Vissel. I don't know if uh, if you've sprung for somebody else, but yeah, his uh, eight league goals with Frontale last year matched his uh, tally on loan with the Tosu in 2022, uh, meaning he was uh, just a uh, one goal behind Yasuto Wakizaka for a top scorer for uh, Kawasaki last year. So, yeah, I wonder how he'll fit in with Osako and Muto, and uh, can he separate himself from the likes of uh, Koya Yuruki and uh, Jean Patrick to earn uh, regular starts under Yoshida? What's your, what are your expectations for, for Miyashiro in, in 2024? Um, well, uh, interestingly, because I actually picked Yuya Osako as my, my one to watch, and I mentioned Miyashiro kind of in my notes, because if I can start off with Osako and I'll come, ba- I'll come back around to Miyashiro, I, I promise, because you know, he turned th- 34 in May, and you know he was so good last season, just his overall play and then his, his output with like, the 22 goals and seven assists, and he featured in all 34 games at, at his age and with his kind of injury record. A 38-game season, it's hard to see him starting as many games or playing as many minutes as he did last year. And also, I think he, the season and a half before he before last year, he's only scoring at one goal in three games for Vizel. So if if he slips off a bit, how much can Miyashiro pick up the slack? That that's the the key thing because yeah, I think both Osako and Muto played in every game last year. So a big challenge for for Vizel is going to be if if one of them gets injured, as happened you said in the the Anis Horribilis the, the year before when one was out and then the other was out or one wasn't fully fit and the other wasn't fully fit. So I, I think, yeah, for, for Vissel, the, 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 the new players that are coming in midfield, you mentioned Idiguchi, you've got uh, Kakeru Yamauchi's come in for Tsugaba, uh, Kuwasaki's come up for, from Nagasaki. They, they've got depth there and they've brought in Hirose to cover both both flanks, Iwanami, uh, Obi to, to cover for, for Mayakawa's goalkeeper. I don't really have any issue with the defence in, in midfield. It's just just the attack. Um, can, how close to last year's level can can Osako get get to? And yeah, how how well can Miyashiro fit in? I, I tend to think yeah, I, I'm 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 thinking positively about about Vissels. I think yeah, Osako won't score 22 goals again, but yeah, I think he'll get into double figures. And I think yeah, if you got that plus Miyashiro shipping in with eight or nine, then Muto's got a few, and then. There's a few goals in the midfield in the, in the left wing, and yeah, I, I don't see any issues with, with Vissel, but Yuya yeah, Osako is my my player to watch, and I, I definitely second your your nomination for Miyashiro as someone to keep your eye on. All right then, thanks Johnny. So Alan, you mentioned that you thought Idiguchi would be the most influential of the uh, the the transfers into the club, but yeah, you also mentioned Miyashiro as well. So was there anything else you wanted to add on either of those two players, or was there another maybe youngster that you wanted to pick out as as one to watch uh, in this new campaign? I think um, we probably have to keep an eye on, but not necessarily in this campaign. But it'd be interesting to see if he does get a chance. But uh, they have a defender called Justin Honma. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was, I think, 12 or 13 or 14 in uh, the Vissel Kobe junior youth. Uh, you know, he just sort of stood out because he's a, he's a half, as most Japanese people call him. I prefer to call him a double. My daughter is a double. She's got the best of two cultures. And Justin Hummer is um, basically, a, you know, a, a white-looking guy like uh, Goto Kusakai, for example, who's also a, a double, a half. So uh, he stood out that way. But then I realized how good he was, too. 
and um, now he's signed a professionals contract and uh, he's also just returned from Qatar where he was selected as one of the training partners for the Japan squad uh, where Japan obviously they've gone with uh, 20 23 26 whatever the squad is um, but they needed a few extra players to uh, to make two teams so they can play against each other in training and mm. he was one of three I believe three players who were selected to go as a training partner I mean he's He's young, he's never played in J1, and he was chosen as a training partner. So um, the, the chances are we might actually get to see him this season, but he's definitely one for the future. Justin Homma, remember the name. Homma, yes. Yes, Homma got a simultaneous hmm from myself and Johnny. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've oh. both uh, we're both aware of the name. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, that must have been an absolutely mind-blowing experience for him and uh, the other youngsters over there uh, training with the, uh, with the full national team. So, yeah, let's uh, wait and see whether uh, Homma is able to work his way in to uh, Takeyuki Yoshida's first team plans in uh, this season. All right, then, so let's wrap things up. And, uh, well, Johnny, I came to you last with both of the Osaka clubs. So I'll, I'll come to you first on Kobe then. Uh, for me, they start as favourites to go back to back. I guess we, we, wor- we wonder whether they can maintain the same uh, standards and motivation. But uh, with the likes of Osako, uh, Muto, uh, Gotoko Sakai, as Alan just mentioned, Maikawa between the sticks, Hotaru Yamaguchi in midfield, and the new the new boys, Itaguchi and uh, Iwanami, etc. Um, yeah, it's hard to see them dropping off too far. But um, yeah, Tokyo Fox wonders uh, that the likes of uh, Frontale twice and Sanfrecce have uh, shown that re- retaining the title is a uh, fairly doable though of course not necessarily easy in uh, recentish years so uh, what chance do you give Vissel of uh, doing likewise this year but that was actually a good question from Tokyo Fox because in, in my head Hiroshima hadn't gone back to back they just won lots of titles in, in a small period but he, he was right to point out they had and I did a bit of research because Kawasaki did it twice and Antlers have done it three in a row and two in a row and Marinos have done it two in a row in, in the last kind of 20 or so years. I, I do think that the Kawasaki, the, especially the 2020-2021 wins, that did come across as a bit easy. Um, it's generally not that easy because I think when they did it before, they, they won it in the last day of the season once and then the, the San Frecci collapsed and then when San Frecci did it, I think Marinos collapsed. So I think you do need a bit of good fortune. So I mm, I would say if I was to bet I'd say the chances are Kobe won't win the league but they will be very close to the top. I mean I I have them in a I haven't finalised what my kind of J is going to be but at the moment my thinking is kind of Vissel, Sanfrecce, Unurawa the kind of top three with maybe Fontali and Marinos just, just behind as kind of outside bets. So I I'm happy to suggest Vissel will finish in the top three but. It's very difficult to say they're going to be champions, but they definitely have a, have a chance, I think. What about what about Alan? Where do you see them ending up this year? Oh, they're going to win it all. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem is uh, the ACL. It's been a problem for mm. all of us, all the teams over the years, of course. We've seen, we've just mentioned, they've, they've, they've dumped the right players. Um, they've bought the right players. They have enough. And... Um, to, to name drop or just to to be to be uh, you know report something that I've heard from but the director of football Nagai Hideki Nagai and the manager Yoshida have both said to me at different times in the last month they want two teams this season literally and they've said that in English you know like two teams got so they want two teams in order to try to retain J1 and win the ACL and uh, 
I think that they're going about the right way. They definitely have enough for, to, for two teams, but I don't think that they'll be playing like one team one week and one week the other. Um, so I think that the key point is when it comes time to, to move players in and out, uh, when the ACL comes around, um, how they do it. Do they you know, switch seven or eight at times or do they just... Uh, I, I think I'm the kind of guy who thinks that players in football can handle two games a week. Um, I'm not sure they can handle two games every week of the season, but they should be uh, mm. good enough to play two games a week. So I wonder if um, the fact that um, they have so many players in so many positions means that either they're going to rotate during the season as well, um, which is is that going to be a good or bad thing? And usually I find that that's not such a good thing. Um, or are they going to literally uh, almost change the teams for the ACL, certainly for the group stage, perhaps? So, um However, the manager handles his two teams or his 22 or 25 players that are good enough to be starting will be a key. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, having unhappy players at Urawa Reds perhaps um, didn't help them at times. Um, and I think, I mean, they literally have six right backs or left backs or even in the case of Goto Kusakai and you just mentioned Hirose and even Hatsuse actually players that can play both left back and right back um mm. there's like players playing you know and they've got five or six center backs um they've got eight or nine or ten people that could definitely play midfield um in any team in, in j1 and then as, as we mentioned again i mean the forwards are the problem they 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 need to juggle it and these decides whether he's playing 4-1-4-1 or 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 i mean i don't think they're really playing 4-3 it's more of a, a 4 a 4-5-1 kind of thing but they really do attack especially down the wings so um i think the, the key will be keeping the players happy and of course match fit to so that when they are called in um that they they do the job so they have the players they have the manager uh, I think that they can do it, and then it comes down to injuries and luck. It always happens that way. Even uh, even the World Cup, you know, teams that have a bit of luck, or or somebody handballing the ball in in 1986. But that's uh, <laughs> that, that's going back a bit. Sorry. Oh so, boy, uh, yeah, boy. <laughs> Maradona's handball gets a mention in the J Talk podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think they can do it, and the ACL uh, is the key. You know, how are they going to juggle it? And so. Um, for me, at the moment, I'm positive that Vissel Kobe have the players and the manager that can do it. And then we'll see because we've seen players, uh, we've seen teams like completely flounder in the ACL and spoil their season. So um, will it happen this time? All right. Well, uh, yeah, for, for mine, yeah, they're uh, they're right up at the sharp end of the table again. And uh, we'll see if they get the breaks. And um, maybe, just maybe, they can go back-to-back. Vissel, uh, of course, as the J1 champions, they play in the uh, the traditional season curtain raiser, the uh, the Super Cup, when they will take on uh, Empress Cup champions Kawasaki on uh, Saturday, the uh, 17th of February, and then they start their league campaign away at promoted Iwata. They host Kashiwa in their first home game, but uh, interestingly, they host both Hiroshima and Yokohama F Marinos in the first seven rounds. And uh, those two are likely to be uh, title contenders as well. So a couple of uh, really interesting early tests for the defending champions. All right, we'll move on then to Kyoto Sanga, uh, the fourth 
team from Kansai that we're uh, previewing in uh, the first week of our uh, J1 season previews. For Sanga, 2023 was a slight improvement on the previous season. They finished 13th. That was uh, a leap of uh, three spots up the table from where they finished in 2022. They started reasonably well, but weren't in the top half of the table after match day nine, and they spent the entire second half of the season uh, flitting between 13th and 15th in the table. Uh, Only six teams scored fewer than their 40 goals for, while their 45 goals against was uh, middle of the pack. But, well, they've lost literally a quarter of their goals from 2023. Their joint top scorer, Patrick, who, of course, didn't start all that many games, but, yes, still scored 10 league goals. Uh, He has departed the club and uh, joined Nagoya Grampus. Uh, Koske Kinoshta, who I think there were high hopes for, he has left after just three league goals last year and headed to Kashiwa, while uh, Osamu Henry Ioha, uh, after 18 appearances, has gone back to Hiroshima after his loan ended and uh, Johnny they were the the three major transfers out that I could pick were there any other uh, key members of last year's squad that have departed for you for you well there's the centre back Rikito Inoue who I think he he was almost ever present the year before and then I think he got injured and he kind of drifted out of form in in the summer he's gone like uh, Yota Sato to be to be a new new backup to Schultz and Hoibraten at, at Urawa um, uh, other than that, I think the only one I'd point out is uh, Fuki Yamada, who's a, a young winger. I think we'll talk about it, Tokyo Verde in, in a couple of weeks. He's played for, for um, Japan at youth team level. Um, yeah, I, I think, honestly, the, the bigger news rather than the departures, maybe aside from Patrick, is the fact that Kyoto have managed to keep most of their best players. I, I think Patrick and Kinoshita maybe aside. Yeah, I think you know, Hara and Toyakawa up front, uh, Kawasaki in midfield, and uh, Asada, maybe to a lesser extent, in defence. They were all players I, I expected there might be kind of interest in from other clubs, especially the, kind of the goal return from Toyokawa and Hara in his short spell at the club. And Kawasaki's been in the national team before, and, and Asada, as you mentioned, the defence has not conceded too many goals over the past couple of seasons, and he's been a, a rock at the back there. So, so keep keeping that that four and also Gusum Yoon is, is staying for, for next season. I know he does have a, a horror mistake in him from time to time, but I think he'll win them more points than than you'll cost them. So yeah, they've they've kept a very good spine despite losing an awful lot of goals. I think there's plenty of reasons for, for optimism for, for Kyoto fans. Usually I kind of feel for like, like so Kyoto or, or like a Shonan or Sagan Tosa, you can kind of copy and paste it. They might well stay up but they'll probably struggle. But this year I think yeah if they get off to a good start, I don't see what, why why they shouldn't be optimistic about the coming uh, campaign. Yeah, so Alan, there's yeah a couple of really interesting transfers in, and well, getting Hara uh, locked up is uh, is a massive one. Taichi Hara uh, on loan last year from Alaves in Spain scored seven and assisted four goals, and yeah, that they've managed to hang on to him and uh, yes, yeah, sign him on a permanent basis is uh, uh, fantastic news. While uh, Marco Tulio, a Brazilian striker who was playing in Australia for a Central Coast Mariners, is a, a really interesting one as well. And, yeah, he, he might be leading the line alongside Hara this season. So, yeah, there's some, some really interesting names that they brought in. And as Johnny said, yeah, the stability of being able to keep hold of uh, their, their better players from last year is, um, yeah, can only bode well for them, I think, this year. Yeah, I think uh, my, my Aussie friends, uh, you being one of them, I just mentioned it too, rate Marco Tulio very highly. 
uh, definitely think he can make it in J1. So uh, I think the, the problem that uh, Chalky J, the, the Kyoto manager, has and will have again perhaps is he's got too many forwards and he he just plays around with them. And he even even though he's got so many forwards, the Toyokawa, he'll have Tulio, he'll have Hara, he had Patrick, he had Kinosta, and even then he still played uh, various other attacking midfielders as forwards as well. And I think he, he needs to uh, to settle on who his best players are and uh, give them a chance to, to settle in properly. Um, I think Tulio and Harrow should be the main two, and Toyokawa. I think Toyokawa is a pretty good uh, as a super sub. Um, he, he really gets stuck in when he needs to and scores goals out of nowhere. And Patrick, of course, was always a super sub. So uh, I think the uh, if they concentrate on the attack and, and, and give it a little bit of consistency, it could be interesting. Toichi Suzuki has uh, come in from Switzerland, from Lausanne. He's a player that used to play under Kachoki J at uh, Belmare, I believe, as far as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I didn't check. And um, so they've got... Oh, um, if, if I can go back a little bit deeper too, uh, Koki Tsukagawa, who came in from FC Tokyo, was never really given a chance there. But when mm. he started Kawasaki Frontale, I remember I think seeing him come on as a as a substitute after a, a, about 65 minutes once. And within five minutes, he got a bloodied head after really getting stuck in and, and doing very well. And I thought, what a great player he, he could turn out to be. And then, of course, he's, he's up against such a great midfield in Kawasaki Frontale. So got edged out. And then FC Tokyo, uh, he never really got a chance to. So um, he might be a really good signing. But I think that the key signing might be um, Yoshinori Suzuki uh, at centre back. You know, he was he was uh, almost ever present a couple of years ago, and this season would have been ever present if he wasn't injured. He was an excellent player who Reds have sort of poached away. But uh, Yoshinori Suzuki has captained their pulse um, very well. Um, he's uh, almost made it to J1, but I think he had something in his contract that said basically, if we don't make it this year, I'm moving Yoroshiku, and uh, he's come in and I to be even uh, a good captain. Um, but certainly the captain's role at the back. So uh, having a Suzuki Yoshinori in defence, solid, experienced, and uh, perhaps the key would be the keeper. Uh, the goalkeeping was a mess last season. Uh, they they had four or five players that played, if if Werner Hahn actually played at all. Uh, I think he played in the cup once, but um, they had four or five goalkeepers um, injured, uh, just not good enough or never given a chance. Uh, they've got Gu Sung-yun from uh, Consadole Sapporo. They had him on loan and now he's signed fully. And um, I'm presuming and hoping that if they, they're going to be consistent and start him in goal, then they have the makings of a, of a good team. Um, again, with the same with Gamba. I'm not sure they have the manager who can make a good team. Um, he has his limitations in how he plays. Um, but the fact that, uh, as, uh, as it's been mentioned, uh, Sota Kawasaki has stayed. Um, and will be a, a huge asset in the middle of midfield. So um, they have the makings of a good team. Can they become that good team, or will they be struggling at the bottom again? Over to you. Well, yeah, Johnny, so you, you mentioned that they managed to hang on to most of their good players. Um, were there, was there anything else you wanted to add on on the transfers in? Um, I think just uh, I largely agree with, with everything Alan said, especially about Yoshinori Suzuki. I think that's a very, very good signing at the back. I, I think that was the, the S-Pulse defender Kashiwa should have signed the, the, the previous year when they sort of blundered on Tatsuta and Katayama. I think I've, I've, I've rated him since his, his Oita days. And also maybe someone that does, doesn't quite 
Um, it didn't quite stand out in the ins was uh, Keita Machida, who's come up from um, Mito Hollyhock. He, he, I think last year he came up from, from university and they loaned him out to FC Osaka and J3. did very well there. And he came into to Mito and played almost from the word go in the summer. And, you know, there's a bit of a revolving circus around it, a Mito with different players and different youngsters. But I think he really stood out for me. Um, so I'm glad to see him get a chance in, in J, J1. Um, yeah, Marco Tullio is definitely an intriguing one because it, it seems like he, he absolutely killed it in, in Australia. But then kind of looking back at his career before he went to Australia is no, nowhere near as impressive. So what, what kind of version of Marco Tullio t- turns up or will, like Alan alluded to, will he go back to playing Sam Robson's favourite Yogo Yamasaki as a centre forward? <laughs> I don't think that's quite going to be the answer. And yeah, I'm interested, Ben, what you, you make of uh, Tsukagawa because my take on him was always that He'd come in for a couple of games and he'd look quite good, but then he would kind of drift out. I always kind of felt consistency was a bit of an issue with him. Um, so I, I kind of think he'll fit in quite well at Kyoto. He might come in and start 10, 15 games and be a sub for 10 or 15 games. And that's kind of how Cho likes to do it with a lot of these players. They'll, they'll come in for a few games and they'll take them out and give them a bit of a rest on the bench and then, and then bring them back in. So do you see Tukagawa being a, a decent signing for Kyoto? Yeah, I was I was really frustrated that it didn't work out for him at at Tokyo because I was hoping that yeah after he'd been credited out for uh, for so many years at, at Kawasaki and not being able to to get an extended run in the team that yeah that that might have been part of his motivation for moving to Tokyo and yeah I was hoping that he was going to get that opportunity but um, yeah he just uh, was never really able to establish himself and um, while there were some terrific flashes yeah it was. Uh, it just apparently wasn't wasn't meant to be, and uh, again, it's a, a frustrating uh, Tokyo signing that hasn't worked out. We've certainly had a, a few of those over the the, the past few years, and uh, yeah, can only wish him all the best. I think he's an extremely talented player, and um, yeah, hopefully he'll be able to produce for Kyoto, and hopefully he fits in better there than apparently he did um, at Ajinomoto Stadium. Because uh, yeah, as I said, I had a lot of. Uh, High hopes for him, but it didn't uh, didn't quite work out. So uh, we'll uh, we'll wait and see. We'll hopefully he can uh, uh, flourish under Chokui J, the uh, the 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 manager now in his uh, fourth year with Kyoto after uh, almost eight with uh, Shonan. Uh, Cho led uh, Sanga out of J2 after uh, 11 years in his uh, first season. Uh, but Alan uh, Brett Bobby Sud wonders. Uh, can Kyoto take the next step up in performance, i.e. solid mid-table under Cho, or is there a limit to how successful they can be in J1 with him at the helm? Uh, my immediate uh, answer to that would be no. I don't think they'll be trouble in the top half of the table. Um, I don't think they can take the next step under Cho QJ, but they have brought in some decent players. Um, I think... Uh, the, we've mentioned that um, he, he brings, sort of brings players in and then gives them a break and and then puts them on the bench and you know rotates and whatever. But uh, I think that um, I think that team saw too many changes, many unforced, as we say. He just he just gives players a break and he's just tinkering with his lineup as opposed to making it uh, a settled team. And I think that well, most players and most teams would be much more happy and uh, they'd find more benefit if they, they stuck with a, a basic decent 11 or 15 or whatever it is. So for me, I think the the tinkering that he does actually harms the team as opposed to to uh, helping. Uh, if they have good signings in, they've got rid of Deadwood, uh, including Michael Wood, 
Oh, little pun there. <laughs> I like it. And uh, so, yeah, if Joe if changes his tune, but I don't think he's the kind of player, uh, the kind of manager who does change his tune. So um, I hope for their sake that they're not, you know, struggling with in the bottom three after five or six games, because uh, he might fail, feel the pressure then. But no, I think he's he's happy and probably. Uh, I don't know if Sanger fans will be happy, but, but uh, they'll be happy if they're they're out of the top six come the halfway through, through the season. And um, as long as they're not struggling against relegation, that's about as much as they can expect, I think. Yeah. Did you want to add anything on uh, on Cho or Johnny? Or if not, you can uh, just feel to, uh, feel free to move on to how you think they're, they'll perform overall uh, in the new campaign. So, yeah, I, I largely agree with, with kind of what, what Alan was saying about Cho. He's kind of a bit like a, a J-League version of like a, a Tony Pulis or, or Sean Dyche. I think, mm-hmm. you know, establishing Kyoto as a, as a solid J1 team, I think that there's almost no one better to do that. But you know, you've always got to like then worry. You know, I think Charlton's a classic example from the English Premier League. They, they kind of got up and then they got rid of Alan Kerbishley. Then the, the house of cards all kind of fit, fell down. So I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon at, at Kyoto. I think that the kind of style of football is the intense pressing. I think they were, they were second for sprints in 2023. So he obviously likes to work the players very hard, then, then kind of take them out. And I think there is sometimes an issue with certain players. Like I mentioned, Sukagawa, um, they're maybe not at J1 level that, they can't get like, like Urawa or Vissel can play these players for like 35, 36 games and get a high level of performance. I, I think some you know, Kyoto players, they do kind of like, especially the younger ones like Fuki Yamada, who, who's left, he was one that kind of got in for a bit and get taken out. I think sometimes I think you can question his over rotation, but sometimes I think he does actually have, have it right. And I think especially when, when players play against top quality opponents a bit too much and they, they kind of understand how they operate, it can be quite tough tough for them. So I think in some ways, yeah, you can you can criticise, I think, his, his use of the squad. In other ways, I think he does you know what he's doing. But yeah, looking at them, I'm, I'm actually, I'm pretty positive about them. I don't think they're going to be in a relegation dogfight, but that does kind of come down to, I think, to Toyokawa and Hara because, you know, Toyokawa, like Alan mentioned, had, had a great season last year, but he scored 10 goals in 27 games, but before that it was 10 goals in 90 games. So uh, although he kind of played reasonably well before, he, he did kind of t- treble his, his goal-scoring output. So we'd expect some kind of fall back from that. And, and likewise, Hara didn't really strike anyone as being particularly an impressive signing by Kyoto, despite being abroad. But I think he got, he got seven goals and four assists in th- 13 games. I mean, if he continues that anything like that kind of ratio with his kind of size and, and physique and mobility, like he'll be... He'd be drawing interest from other J1 clubs and other overseas clubs and possibly also Hajime Moriyasu. So it wouldn't take too much to kind of derail them if, if Toyokawa got injured and Hara kind of lost form or vice versa and Tulio's not, not as great a signing as he, as he might appear. Then quite the, the age-old question of where the goals are coming from does rear its kind of ugly head and then they could kind of spiral down to a relegation battle. But I tend to think a bit like Gamba, they'll probably be kind of upper half of the bottom half, if that makes sense. I don't see them quite breaking into the, the, the top half, but this is definitely the most positive I've felt about, about Kyoto since they've, since they've come back into the top flight. I mean, uh, Alan, do, do, you send, do you share my positivity or are you a bit more pessimistic on them? No, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think I basically said that hopefully they're, they're not in a, the dogfight, to, to use that, that cliche that we love. Um, but I don't think they'll be trouble in the top half. Um, and to be honest, I think that's what Kyoto Sanger and probably what Chokije's uh, aim is 
just to basically stay out of the top, the bottom three and uh, try and stay clear and maybe hit the top half if you're really lucky, but just lessen the pressure on the players who, who might not like a dogfight. So, yeah, I don't think I expect too much, but I don't think they'll be struggling. Yeah, for me, um, yeah, I'm I'm also uh, glass half full on them, and I think they can look to a team like Fukuoka for for inspiration in terms of a ceiling for their season. Uh, of course, Avispa finished 14th in 2022, but rose to seventh last year and uh, won the uh, Lavain Cup and made the semi-finals of the Empress Cup along the way. So uh, that's, you know, repeating that to the letter is a very tall order for, for Kyoto, and I wouldn't have them as high as seventh in my um, predicted table. But, yeah, I think they can finish – well, yeah, they improved three spots last year. I think they could do that again and, and finish tenth or, or there or thereabouts uh, in, uh, in 2024. Yeah, I mean, a full season from Hara, who, you know, by the looks of him, he, he looks like an out-and-out target man. But, I mean, he's four assists – uh, show that he, he has, um, you know, uh, quite a few strings to his bow. I mean, he, you know, when he was starting out at FC Tokyo, he looked like a giraffe on roller skates. But you can see that, you know, you go and you would hope this would happen. He's gone away, he's gone abroad, and he's um, he's, he's improved himself as a as a player, and he's become a more rounded player. So yeah, I have huge expectations for him this year. And yeah, if if Tulio hits. The ground running, Toyokawa maintains to some degree his, his his output from last year, which, as Johnny said, was an outlier in terms of his overall career. But, um, yeah, I, I, we we always wondered where the goals were coming from. Well, now I think they've got three really good avenues to goal. And, um, yeah, for them, yeah, mid-table and perhaps even nudging a, a bit higher than that is a, is a realistic goal for me for, for for Kyoto in 2024 and I don't know if we actually did we specify players to watch on uh, each for, for them for me it would be the 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 Tokyo old boys uh, Hara and Sukagawa um I'm I'm looking uh, for for production from both of them um I know we've already spoken about a number of the players so was there one player that you wanted to single out as one to watch Johnny um, I'd go for Daiki Kaniko, who's settled in. Another player of the, the Choki JNU at, at Shonan Belmar. Uh, he was very good there, and then he went to Urawa, and it just he, he couldn't quite crack the team. It's obviously very, very tough to break into their midfield. And then went to Kyoto and didn't quite hit the ground running. But it, yeah, last season he, he broke into the team, and they had to move Kawasaki a bit bit forward in the midfield. So, yeah, I really like him at that, the base of that midfield. I think he... He keeps them nice and solid, and he also keeps things ticking over in in the centre of midfield. So he he's a really really good player to for for them to have. So yeah, I think he he'd be my one one to watch. I mean, Alan, I know they've got a few kind of youngsters on the on the fringes of the team. Is it is there anyone who's caught your eye or you might suggest as someone to take a take a look at? Uh, I like the sound of uh, well, what you've just said. He's very nice. Uh, Kaneko's uh, Kaneko's a very good player in his youth, and uh, then he obviously impressed Reds enough to get signed. And, and he did start to play a bit more towards the end of last season. And he also he filled in quite well when Kawasaki was injured and a couple of times away as well. So uh, he's, yeah, I agree with that one. I'd like to think that Toichi Suzuki, who I mentioned, also played under Choki J, might get a chance. Um, interviewed him, uh, or Lionel Piguet interviewed him for us uh, for J Soccer Magazine a couple of years ago when he was in Switzerland. Um, so he's he's got some experience overseas now. It'd be interesting to see what he can do. Um, I think uh, I'd go, I'd go for Fukuoka, Shinpei Fukuoka. He's he's got some talent, and he's uh, I, I, he seemed to be for me he was going to be the guy who would replace Sota Kawasaki when he left. 
um, but Kawasaki hasn't left yet. And uh, other players have come in. And Fukuoka wasn't getting into the team. Well, he was getting into the squad, but not into the team towards the end of last season. Uh, I think he's quite a decent player, and I'd like to see him get a bit more time. And so I'll go for Shinpei Fukuoka as my man to watch there. And hopefully we get a chance to watch him. All right, outstanding stuff. Thanks, Alan. All right, so uh, yeah, we uh, we've wrapped up then the, the the four Kansai clubs. But before we leave them all together, we had a request from Peter to uh, to rank these four Kansai clubs from one to four as to where you think they'll finish in the table in uh, in 2024. Uh, so Alan uh, from well, no, I don't want to read out the, the the teams because you know who they are and I might spoil your order. So in which order do you have the the Kansai clubs finishing in the table this year? Vissel Kobe, Cerezo Osaka, Gamba Osaka, Kyoto Sanga. All right, Johnny, is yours different? Um, I'm going to be really boring and say, yeah, it's exactly the same as Alan's. But the other thing that I think is, is Visa is definitely number one and two, three and four, I think is very close. I think you could have them in any order. But yeah, I, I was exactly the same as Alan, I'm afraid. OK, well, I've just picked up Kyoto, so I'll I'll plump for them ahead of uh, Gamba. But yeah, otherwise the, 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 the same first two as as the other two guys. So mine's uh, Kobe. Cerezo, Kyoto and Gamba. But yeah, I uh, agree with Johnny. Those uh, those last three uh, could all be uh, very close to each other in the table. All right, then. So, um, yeah, thanks for that, Peter. Thanks for getting us to put our thinking caps on for that one. And uh, that's all four Kansai clubs rounded up then. So we'll finish this episode by talking about Sanfrecce Hiroshima, who uh, finished third ultimately after a uh, topsy-turvy season in 2023. They were fourth Four points off top after match day 16, so just one round before the halfway point of the season. They then didn't win in six and slumped to ninth in the table. Then they lost only one of their last 12 and roared back up to third. Uh, key man Makoto Mitsuta missed three months due to injury. Uh, Tsukasa Morishima, who for a long time there was his partner in crime, of course, left in the summer to join Nagoya. But on a positive note, Mutsuki Kato came in from Cerezo and scored five in 13 late in the season. Their 42 goals for was uh, fairly middling, if we're being honest, but their defence was excellent. Their 28 goals conceded was a second best in the league and only just one more than uh, Urawa conceded last year. So, uh, yes, they were, for uh, for many, a sexy pick for a uh, top spot in the J-Pred last year, Johnny. Um, at, uh, yeah, ultimately, they didn't deliver uh, on that promise, but I think there were a number of caveats that, um, yeah, means that uh, we're maybe some of us are maybe willing to give them a second chance this year. Yeah, I think M- Michael Skibber has always said that his, the, th- the third year was the, the one that he, he wanted to go for the title. He wanted to steady the ship, then he wanted to build, and then th- th- this is the year he's been, been building towards. So, like you said, obviously Midster was out, and then they had that kind of mid-season uh, collapse. And you know, they, they dominated across the board in, in almost every statistic, apart from actually good goals scored. And I think in many ways, the the, the round one game against Sapporo, when I think Kawamura had the ball over the line and it wasn't given as a goal, I think that went on to to be a kind of yeah you know, a sign of how the season was going to go. I mean, you know, you mentioned they're a very sexy pick, and they will be again this year. 
if you were to look for any kind of kind of criticism, it might be like you said, they were never properly in the title race. They were kind of early doors. They were on the kind of on the outskirts of it, threatening to get involved. That then they had that collapse, and then they kind of came roaring back when it was too, too late. So, if they do find themselves midway through this season, kind of within striking distance of the top, how are they going to react? Are they going to be able to get the results? I think that that's the real thing we, we want to see. Can this kind of skip a gig and pressing work for the whole year? They do like you know they have a a wide array of of talent throughout the squad, um and you know they they're very settled. Some of the other teams are near the top of the league from last season have changed coach, but uh, Hiroshima have the same coach that they have most of the same players, and you know we'll go on to talk about the they didn't really do much transfer activity last winter, but. You mentioned Cato came in last summer, Marcos Jr. came in last summer, looked, looked good, then got injured. So I always feel like those players that come in and only play like 10 or 11 games at the end of last season, you can always expect them to, to get better this year. So, yeah, I, I would expect that the vast majority of, of J-Preds will have Sam Fretchy somewhere in the top three. Um, they've, got, they've got the new stadium. They've got a good coach. They've got a good base. It's, it's yes. I'm glad we're finishing with them because it's a very positive way to, to finish. I think Sam Fletcher are, are looking pretty good. Do, do you share my my positivity, Alan? I do. I do. They've been very. I, I'm, I might I might butt in on what Ben's got planned in a moment, but um, I think that the they the only thing they they I mean they kept a, the solid squad that they have. They they dumped a, a bit of dead wood. Uh, one of the foreign forwards is gone, and uh, I don't think he's going to be missed at all. But um, otherwise, uh, I mean, as you said, very little activity, but very good activity. Um, am I allowed to start mentioning him, uh, Ben, or do you want to come in there? No, crack on, Alan. Yeah, go for it. So they managed to entice Yuki Ohashi from Shonan Belmare when uh, plenty of other clubs were looking at him, um, and they managed to get him to come to San Frecce. And I think what uh, San Fretti were missing last season was a, a, a solid second forward, since Mitsuta was missing most of the time anyway. And also, he seemed to be favoured uh, to play behind the strikers or even on the right wing at times. So uh, I think that their weakness really was uh, Nassim Ben Khalifa, who has moved away, and um, Douglas Vieira, who was excellent uh, if he came off for 20 minutes at the end, but if he started the game, he never lasted that long. A great strike rate as a super sub, but basically not good enough otherwise, and certainly not as a solid starter. And uh, Sotorio, a similar kind of position, when he played, uh, I think they were they were less than the, some of their parts. I think Kato um, and Ohashi together as a, as a top two, although basically they, they seem to play a top three uh, or, or a four or five one kind of thing. Um, and with uh, Mitsuta fully fit, hopefully, uh, and staying, I think the fact that uh, Ohashi Kato and Mitsuta, if he's played at the top, is an excellent strike force, a brilliant top three. And um, with Marcus Junior, if he stays fit, again uh, just behind them, um, if Mitsuta's not played there, I think they have uh, the chance to increase their goal and scoring output this season. And if they can keep the defence as uh, strong as they are, yes, they'll be a very sexy choice. Yes, indeed, and well, yeah, it's. Um... It's a, a great equation, I think. They've uh, they've let uh, Nassim Ben Khalifa go to Fukuoka, Johnny. His uh, seven league goals 
in, in two full seasons with the club are, um, well, yeah, uh, I guess an indication of uh, the lack of um, uh, an impact he had. And, yeah, to be able to replace him with Yuki Ohashi, who um, I guess along the lines of, uh, of Toyokawa was a, a bolt out of the blue and um, his goal-scoring exploits were, uh, yeah, uh, definitely uncharted territory for him uh, and what he'd been able to produce to that point in his career. But, yeah, to get to 13 goals for a Shonan side that was um, struggling with relegation pretty much the entire season. Of course, we know about his hat-trick in the first game away at Tosu, but then uh, shortly after that, he was injured and spent three months out of the team. He only had four goals to his name when uh, Shuto Machino left the club and then scored nine in 11 and um, played, obviously, a huge role in Shonan ultimately surviving the, the the drop last year. So, yeah, to be able to uh, take, take Ben Khalifa and his inconsistency out of the picture and be able to add Ohashi uh, should work out well for sure, uh, for uh, San Freche. I nearly said Sean on there. He's left Sean on, of course, as, as long as this is, uh, yeah, that was the real Yuki Ohashi last year and it wasn't a flash in the pan. I guess uh, that's for, uh, for Michael Skibber to try and get the best out of him. Yeah, this, this is a fascinating transfer and, like I've said before, I think most transfers in the J League, they, they do have some sort of question mark, even if this maybe uh, on first glance looks like an excellent move. I, I think that Ben Khalifa, you know, unless he was playing against Gamba Osaka, where he scored four of his seven goals against, he, he didn't really score score many goals. But I think he, his overall movement was often quite, quite decent in creating space for others. So it seems like in, in Ohashi, who's actually deceptively quite, quite big and he's very aggressive and he's closing down, um, in his defensive work and he also like you said last year he has a, a very sharp eye for goal so it seems like I think the reason they brought him in is to be a sort of hybrid of Ben Khalifa and Douglas Vieira in that he, he can he's got the engine he's going to run he's going to close down he's going to create space for others and he's going to score goals as well and he's not going to tire like, like one of them is or not fail to score goals like, like the other one so I definitely see why, why they've gone from him I think uh, you're right to mention, Ben, like, like we've said before, how out of kilter his, his strike rate was last year. One of the bigger concerns, I think, is also you mentioned the three months out because you know, he, he missed the 11 games last season and that has been a, a recurring theme of his career of, of injuries. Um, if, if he stays fit for the 38 games and if he hits the ground running, he gets into double figures and, and Mutsuki Kato gets into double figures. Yeah, Hiroshima could, could very well be looking for, for the title. I think the other thing I might kind of speculate about is, without wanting to put any Shonan noses out of joint, but basically when, when you're playing at Shonan, if you can stay comfortably away from the relegation zone, that's a kind of a good season, whereas San Francisco are really going for the title. And f- first game of the season is Urawa at home. If you imagine you're, you're Shonan playing Urawa at home, you lose 1-0, Ohashi misses a couple of chances. Yeah, it's disappointing, but I think you'll probably say, you know, we've given a decent account of ourselves against one of the best teams in the league. Let's make sure we take our chances next week. If the same thing happens at, at San Fredchi, they, they, they dominate, control large parts of the game, lose 1-0, Ohashi misses a couple of chances, then, you know, the, the murmurings start to, to, not too loud, but they're there in the background. So I think you've got that, and you've also got the fact that people are going to respect Hiroshima, they're going to back off that little bit more, whereas they might attack Shonan a bit more give chances for Ohashi behind. So he's, he's going to have to adjust to that different mindset and every game been a bit different. But I think if he can stay fit, I, I, I like this signing more, the more I've thought about it. And especially like Alan pointed out that the options they've got 
They can bring in Marcos Jr. from the bench. They can start him. Midster's played in several positions. Cato can play as, a, as the one up top as well, as, as off there. Ezekiel can come in from, from the bench. They have so many di- different options. I mean, Pieros is still there if they want to throw a kind of battering ram on later on. Douglas Vieira is still there as well for see if he can get, get a few goals this season. Yeah. You mentioned, Ben, that the lack of goals, that despite having the best kind of expected goals and most shots in goal uh, last season, so that would be a real disappointment. If Ohashi and Kato, if that starts to click, then yeah, who's going to stop Hiroshima? Indeed, good question. And here's another good question from uh, Brett Bobby Sud. How well does the, this new striker, Yuki Ohashi, fit the San Frecce tactical setup? For you, Alan, um, how, how do you think he's going to, will he fit in like a glove or will it take a bit of getting used to as uh, Brett assumes a front three of Ohashi, Kato and Mitsuta in some combination? But yeah, I mean, we've talked about how many uh, different attacking options they have. So it, I guess it might take Skibber a little bit of time to figure out his his favourite three three and uh, how you know how much uh, faith he'll be able to put in those without uh, chopping and changing I think uh, I think he'll fit in nicely to the system and I think the manager is good enough to to mold him into the system if he doesn't quite fit in at the start anyway um, I, I think he's a very good choice I mean they definitely lacked uh, a second striker for me and a finisher um, so the fact that he'll he'll, he'll run around till he till his you know, legs are dying also uh, he's perfect. I think he's. Uh, I think he's going to do very well. I should say, apart from as I mentioned already, again the injuries. If he stays fit, he should be uh, starting every game, and uh, San Frecce will be will be close to Vissel Kobe at the end of the season. Indeed, indeed. All right. So um, yeah, it's uh, third place finishes in each of his first uh, two seasons for Michael Skibber. So uh, Johnny, yeah, you've already said that uh, he's uh, he's targeted the third year as the uh, the campaign when uh, San Frecce will really make a, a title push. H- how has he transformed the club in, in the last couple of seasons? And uh, how pleasing has it been to see that uh, that evolution take place? Of course, you know, uh, early in the last decade, they won three titles in, in four seasons. But, um, yeah, they were um, up and down in the years since then. But, uh, yeah, Skibber has really um, turned things around in, in his time at, uh, well, I was going to say at the Eddie on stadium but yeah they're moving into a new uh state-of-the-art stadium this year but um yeah it's uh it's all systems seem to be go at uh, at hiroshima these days under michael skibber yeah i think if you look back at the, the previous coaches like, like moriasu is, is clearly an, an excellent coach and he, he won the league with them on several occasions but i mean the, the style of football didn't win too, too many plaudits and then joe fuku is he, he's shown getting Verdi promoted he, he clearly knows a thing or two about about the game but but again, you know, there was maybe, uh, I mean, I heard the term dull was often used about, or effective was often used about Hiroshima. But, you know, Skibber, like, remember when he, he came in and we're still in the midst of, of COVID, and I think the first five games he was he was out of Japan and then Hiroshima were bottom of the league and almost like instantly he, he came in and, and changed things around. I think he's just got this kind of vibe about him that seems to connect. I know I've heard a few Japanese people say that that they really respect German coaches or German football. It seems to, to mesh well with the kind of Japanese mindset. So he seems to have come in and, and really hit the ground running. And, you know, he, he got performances out of players. I remember talking with Sam right back at the start about you know, the likes of like, uh, Yoshifumi Kashiwa. You wouldn't be gegging pressing, but he got him doing it for, for a season. And he's he's managed to get full buy-in, it seems like, from 
especially the, the Japanese players and the majority of the, the foreign players that have been there, uh, seem to really enjoy playing for them. They, they like this system. They got quick results, which which was good when he first came in. They could see it was working. And, you know, Japanese players, you don't really have to sell hard work to them. This kind of, kind of comes with the, the, the package. So I, I think the system is very well set up for, for Hiroshima. So I know I think some of the, the kind of German fans of the, of the pod or in the, the, the English-speaking community weren't so hot on them, but He's basically, but barring that kind of massive slump in the middle of last season, minus Midster, he's, he's hit the ground running, I think. And again, like Visa, I'm maybe slightly nitpicking a bit here. What One area of kind of concern for him might actually be, be in defence. And you might think, well, why is he, why is he picking at Hiroshima's defence? But, you know, they've had that Sasaki, Araki, Shiotani backline for so long. Sasaki's 34 and Shiotani's 35 at the beginning of the, the season. So you have to start wondering, like Shiotani picked up an injury last year. You know, if, if again, I mentioned with Hara and Toyokawa, if, if one of them gets an injury and one of them kind of starts to slump a bit, do they have good enough backup defenders? I know you've got like Nakano played on, uh, as a wing back last year and he's more of a kind of centre back and he, Yamasaki didn't play an awful lot last season. Ioha scored a few goals for, for Kyoto, but he was kind of in and out the, the team. And I think they brought in a new player from, from Hosei University, Kohei Hosoya, who a bit like Yamazaki can play holding midfield in, in defence, but there's not an awful lot of experience there, a bit beyond the, the, the obviously outstanding and vastly experienced defensive three. I add to that, obviously, um, Osako's um, missing the, the Asian Cup with a, a, a broken, broken bone in his hand or arm or something, so there's no guarantee he'll be back or, or, or at full, full strength for the, the beginning of the season, where, like I mentioned, they do play Urawa in a very important first game of the season, so... Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of questions. I'm sure there's there's answers to them, but yeah, at both ends of the field, you know, you've got Ohashi's injuries and you've got the, the kind of ageing backline. There are potentially areas you might say could could trip them up throughout the course of the season, but yeah, they've got a very good coach from from my my viewpoint and, and a very good squad. So yeah, uh, 95% positive and 5% maybe a bit of questions, but overall looking pretty good. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Skipper wouldn't want all these ducks in a row, I don't think, before the the start of the season, would he? So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, yeah work to do and uh, a long campaign for uh, for San Frecce. But uh, yeah, the uh, yeah all signs seem to be pointing in the right direction, and um, yeah, Skibble will be uh, yeah desperate, I'm sure, to uh, add a a fourth uh, top flight title to Hiroshima's cabinet. This year, uh, let's do our ones to watch before we uh, wrap it up with a, a question uh, from a previous co-host, and then uh, yeah, uh, our final thoughts on Hiroshima's prospects for 2024. So I'll go first on a one to watch, and it's uh, certainly not a new player in the Hiroshima side, but mine is uh, Takumu Kawamura uh, on the fringes of the national team setup now. Of course, uh, he's only managed, I say only, but he, he scored three goals in each of the last two league seasons. Uh, but of course, as Johnny mentioned, he was denied a, a, a goal on the, in the first game of last season uh, against uh, Sapporo. And um, I think that just set in stone his uh, bad luck in front of goal for uh, the rest of the 2023 season. If he has a, a bit more luck, uh, we know he's going to get the opportunities. Then, um, yeah, I think it might just about be time for uh, Takumu Kawamura to become a household name in uh, 2024. I'd expect him to get close, uh, if not exceed the uh, double uh, figures in goals and, uh, yeah, provide his uh, usual uh, all-around play from the centre of the park. Uh, Alan, who's your one to watch for San Fretche this year? Mitsuki Kato. 
I think uh, Ohashi will get the uh, headlines because he's moved in, and Mitsuta is the superstar in the making, or already made, huh? And returning back, um, Kato was with the San Francisco youth so long ago and has basically returned home. Uh, he cost them a lot of money. I mean, they didn't just grab him on a free transfer or anything. He uh, he had some kind of clause in his contract that if somebody came in with this offer, they would have to let him go. And uh, I'm not sure how they did it behind the scenes, but uh, Kato got San Francisco to buy him off and uh, he came home. And as you say, he did very well in 11 games. And I think uh, he's, he's the one to... Uh, to lead the line and help them out very much so. Uh, I'd say the other person to watch maybe will be, be whoever they put in the back three whenever one of those guys is injured. <laughs> so it's going to be uh, very interesting to see. As, as I say, they're very they're very weak there. I think Yamasaki played a uh, second last game of the season for Araki, but Araki was soon back again. Whether he was not good enough or whether whether Araki was slightly injured in that game and was given a rest. But yeah, they're very. I think Higashi even played in the back three a few times, and Shiji mm-hmm. as well. So they they need to find someone that we can watch who is going to replace those. But for me, uh, Kato, I like him a lot. I was, I was quite sad when he left Sereso because I was just getting to know him, saw him quite often. So Mitsuki Kato for me. All right, great. And uh, Johnny, who's yours? Well, I mean, Mitsuki's a bit a bit obvious. So I think we can call like we can mm-hmm. call him a player to watch. Emeritus, maybe. I'll not I'll not nominate him, but we'll just take it as given that he needs to be watched and I'm going to go for someone we actually haven't mentioned and that's um, Motoki Ohara who's come back from, from a loan at Mito Hollyhock he he started his career at Ehime in, in J3 and then San Fretchi signed him at the beginning of last season loaned him out to, to Mito and he's a very very dynamic fast player he I think he played more in the wing, Ehime and, and Mito but I think he kind of projects as one of these kind of inside forwards if if um, Sam Fretchy play play that way in their three four two one. He'd be one of the, the the two. Very very fast player, very tricky player. Likes to cross, likes to dribble, likes to shoot. Um, he's probably not going to play a ton of minutes with the other players there, but I think he's someone you might look for a, a kind of greasy cameo in the last fifteen or twenty minutes of certain games, especially when if teams do get wind of the fact Hiroshima are, are pretty special this year and put a lot of bodies behind the ball. He might be a kind of you know a shot from a, an unexpected angle to, to um, catch other teams off guard. They're expecting Marcos Jr., they're expecting Kato, they're expecting Midster. Then O'Hara comes on like a, a ball of energy. So, yeah, keep, keep your eyes peeled on him. But, you know, obviously I, I endorse both of the players you, you suggested and also Midster and Ohashi are. I, I think that there's it'd probably be a shorter list of players not to watch at Hiroshima than the ones to watch. There's there's so many there's be so many good good players on show at the new Edion Peace Stadium. Indeed, indeed. Yes, so the uh, the Edion Peace Wing Stadium will, uh, yes, uh, be uh, uh, another jewel in the, the J-League's crown, uh, another new stadium, and uh, fantastic for the the people of Hiroshima and all San Freche supporters to have this uh, terrific new stadium open for business at the start of 2024. And with that in mind, um, yes, former co-host of the pod, and it's actually great to have a, a mention for him on episode 500. Uh, Sam Robson wonders, Alan, um, what lessons can San Freche take from teams like Gumba and Kyoto to hit the ground running in their new stadium? How can they make it feel like home from uh, the very start of the season? I think the question came in too late and we should ignore it. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Sam. Uh, I really don't know. That's such a good question. I, I don't know what went wrong. I mean, Gamba, I don't know. I don't know how many games they went before they didn't even win at their new stadium. It was quite. Uh, I think. I don't think it was. It's an overall thing. I, I, 
for me, I, I, I really, I don't see any difference in playing whatever particular stadium you have. And as long as the fans are there, um, the fans are probably in the same place exactly. Well, actually, no, in San Francisco, they won't be in the same place, will they? Because they're about 25 or 30 yards away and they don't actually go behind the goal. Last time I saw San Francisco, they were sort of on a corner, weren't they? So um, I think I think the stadium will, will help them. Um, the fans will be uh, closer, um, more concentrated uh, behind the goal, I presume. Um, so uh, no no lessons. Uh, I would say uh, get on with the game. Don't worry about the stadium. That, that would be my that would be my <laughs> advice. Get on with it. Don't worry about the stadium. It doesn't matter. All right. Anything to add there, uh, uh, Johnny? Well, with Kyoto, when they opened their stadium, they played Cerezo in a in a warm up game to to christen the stadium, and then it was COVID, so they, they didn't play in front of a full like support for about three years. So I, I don't know if any lessons can be learned there. Um, <laughs> Gamba, yeah, like Alan said, they were rubbish at the start of 2016, but then came good at the end of the season. And since then, they've either been on really good runs or really bad runs for, for most of the time. Um, I, I think maybe the biggest lesson I would learn is a bit like, I mean, Hiroshima's old stadium is basically like a bigger version of Gamba's old stadium. So j- just the difference in moving from that old stadium to the, the new one d- downtown, it's like we're, we're a proper big team now. I know Hiroshima have always been a, a, a big team, but like it just feels like the stadium fits the team rather than it's it's a sort of brilliant team playing in a kind of you know a, a bit of a bit of an old stadium that, that belongs in the 1970s i think yeah it's just a fantastic opportunity for for the team i think one of the things you kind know, of off the field obviously in the corporate side you can make a lot more money you can get a lot more tourists coming into the ground which might not be yeah it might not be the, the most popular thing to say but it's, it's getting more money into the Hiroshima coffers more money for good players more money for good coaches like with Skiba and his, his crew so yeah I'd, I'd basically go with, with Alan I don't know if there is a, a magic formula generally having a good team like they have will get results naturally so yeah and, and the fa- I'm sure it's more for the fans I think the fans will love go, going there it's a new stadium and that, you know if they were to win the league in their first sta- first year in the new stadium then you know, it would be epic it would become a legendary stadium overnight so yeah, it's, it's a very good question, Sam, but I, I don't think I've got I've got a particularly good answer to it. Do, do you have anything to add, Ben? No, not really. Yeah, I mean, uh, just throw lots of salt around. I think that's the, the <laughs> Japanese way to do it, isn't it? To, to purify things and, um, yeah, just cross your fingers and hope for the best. But, I mean, yeah, Hiroshima have a, a terrific squad um, set up to, uh, to roll into this new stadium and, uh, yeah, hopefully to... Uh, as we say, hit the ground running and, um, yeah, make it feel like home from the very first round. Although, yeah, very difficult opponents to, to christen it in the first league game, as uh, Johnny's mentioned, against uh, Urawa. So we'll wait and see. So for uh, San Freche in 2024, yes, they are bound to be a popular top three pick in uh, J-Preds. They have the uh, the national team number one goalkeeper uh, once he's back to fitness. A stingy defence, though, uh, yeah, the depth there can be questioned and an exciting array of attackers with goals from midfield to boot. And uh, yes, you'd have to think that 42 goals for that they scored in 2023 20, uh, is the absolute floor of what they could do uh, in this campaign. So, um, yeah, I think we're all three of us are very positive about them. I don't know if uh, any of us would be, be uh, tipping them to uh, to win the league in our J-Preds. But, um, yeah, I think we can agree that uh, they are going to be right up at the sharp end of the table if uh, things break for them again this year. So, uh, all right, well, I think we'll uh, leave it there, guys. If there isn't anything else uh, that you wanted to add, I think uh, we've all been 
fairly glowing in our praise of uh, San Freche, although, yeah, there are a couple of caveats to, uh, to keep in mind that I'm sure Michael Skibber is already well and truly aware of. So, uh, yeah, we'll leave it there then. Thanks to Sam for his question that yeah we were just able to sneak in. Uh, Alan, yeah, I did consider uh, uh, tossing it aside, but, uh, yeah, thought I'd better throw Sam a bone on this uh, special occasion, the 500th episode, as we said. So uh, thanks to Sam. Thanks to Brett for his uh, terrific questions. Thanks to Nicholas as well for his in uh, part one and uh, for, to Peter for, uh, for getting involved as well and um well yeah thanks to uh, well so many people who have made the uh, the first 500 episodes of uh, j talk possible um uh, all of our patrons of course including our newest patron who's just signed up a uh, cohen welcome aboard cohen great to have you with us um yeah obviously too many guests and uh, people to thank uh, along the way but um well yeah obviously alan you've been here for the well the entire journey not on every episode but on so many of course and uh yeah we really appreciate you sticking around for so long uh, almost two and a half hours of recording tonight uh, as we're into tuesday morning but um yeah thanks for it thanks for joining us and sharing your thoughts on these five clubs and we look forward to catching up with you again very soon the pleasure was all yours the perfect sign off absolutely love it all right then so uh, johnny thank you very much as well mate i know you're always extremely well prepared for these uh, episodes and um yeah well, i think we've started off with a bang um yeah so we'll uh, we'll carry on with the uh, five other clubs next week and a couple of uh, excellent guests lined up so uh, looking forward to that and of course uh, in between this and that we have uh, another uh, japan national team podcast to record and we obviously got our fingers crossed that the the samurai blue get the job done against bahrain but uh, yeah thanks for all the massive role you've played in our first 500 episodes as well thanks so much benny i'm really honored i didn't expect to be in the 500th episode tonight but but here i am and yeah, here's the 500 more and i look forward to talking to you probably on on thursday in the, the brian lara 501 episode and, and hopefully it's a win for japan so thanks very much Indeed. Love the reference there, Johnny. Terrific stuff. All right. So that's it for this episode of the J Talk podcast, part 1B of our J1 season previews for 2024. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank Alan once again for his time on this episode. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions for this episode. Thanks to our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. Listeners, thanks to you for listening wherever you are. And thanks to everybody who's been involved in the first 500 episodes of uh, J Talk. Yes, he, indeed, here's to 500 more. All right, we'll speak to you after Japan play Bahrain. Bye for now. And I could do 500 episodes. <laughs> I could do 500. <laughs> the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Congratulations, Ben. Thanks, mate. I think that might be going on the outtakes. Love it.